1: Screenwriter and Emmy-winning actor Michael Imperioli has just published his first novel, The Perfume Burned His Eyes. The story follows a 17-year-old who has been compared to Holden Caulfield, minus the cynicism. But the most appealing aspect of the book is arguably the author's fascination with rock icon Lou Reed. In the story, protagonist Matthew is a teenager who doesn't know his father. His mother decides they should move from Queen's apartment to Manhattan circa 1976. There he meets a fictionalized version of Lou Reed who later becomes somewhat of a mentor and somewhat of a father figure. The book has received praise from Booklist, Publishers Weekly, Kirkus Reviews, and even author Joyce Carol Oates. Most fans will recognize Michael Imperioli from his days on The Sopranos, but his ever-extending IMDb resume also includes Goodfellas, Summer of Sam, and The Lovely Bones. In addition, some of his more recent television appearances include The Office, Blue Bloods, Lucifer, and the new comedy, Alex, Inc. In this exclusive interview, Michael Imperioli talks about his evolution as a writer, the difference in prose and screenplays, some of his favorite authors, and of course, his fascination with rock legend Lou Reed.
0: I've always been uh, kind of drawn to coming-of-age stories, Um, and... Uh, I played around with uh, the idea of I, I wrote a pilot a while ago about a kid from Pennsylvania who winds up in New York City in the early seventies, but well, I, the pilot never got made. And um, but this character kind of always was in my uh, in my mind. And, um, one of my boys turned around when he was sixteen, you know, going through you know, he was, well, sixteen teenage years and all that brings with it i i, I revisited the idea and, and it, i thought it was a good time for me to try to relate to the mind of a boy that age and i began writing this story and around then lou reed passed away and um i had gotten to know him in the last decade or so of his life and um um, his his death hit me it, it hit me you know in some very impactful ways and then somehow he wound up being uh, part of the story.
1: Can you talk a little bit about that? And I know there's like some themes in the book, or identity, or mentor, or father and son relationships. How did he kind of work his way into the story? What what clicked, or what particular thing made you write him as a character? Well,
0: and and. So you know, I really didn't know what it was about until I was finished with it. I didn't really know where the story was going. I mean, I really started at the beginning with this kid, you know, his life kind of really taking this turn and finding himself in this big city and, you know, all the, 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 the newness of that, the strangeness of that, and adjusting to that right on the cusp of, you know, maturity. Um, and as I went and started working in the Lou character... I started thinking about it in terms of uh, a story of an artist, really, and the formation of an artist. And Lou, on one level, yes, is definitely a father. And this kid has lost his now role models, two main male role models in a very short period of time. And, and Lou's kind of not, not intentionally steps into that role, and, and uh, despite his own dysfunction, kind of falls into that role. But on another level, Lou is almost like an artistic beacon or a mentor to this kid, even though the kid doesn't necessarily know it. And because despite Lou being in a very kind of mad phase of his life, um, it's still a very creative and fertile phase of his life. And amidst the chaos and amidst, you know, his artistic fashion, there's also a certain level of compassion and, um, An understanding, I think, that somehow this that reaches this kid. So um, when Lou takes the kid down to the theater uh, in the midst of Lou's crisis, emotional crisis, um, something about that turns the kid, you know, it works into the kid's mind and sees it as a certain outlet, which is why later in the book when he's, winds up in the hospital, he starts to express his feelings uh, in the form of a play, and then ultimately he writes this journal, which is, you know, the book itself, except for the last chapter.
1: So you've you've partially answered my next question, but was it just timing that led you to write this book now? Like, is this a book that you kind of had to evolve to as a writer? Could you have written this book at an earlier age?
0: I definitely don't think I could have written at an earlier age. I mean, the, the, the last, I don't know, 10 years, maybe less, um, I've really been working on prose, um, both reading with the intent to write prose and looking into good literature and see what what I like about it, what works about it, why it works, and, you know, and, and writing. Um I had a few attempts at some other works of fiction that amounted to a pile of garbage. Um, And then what really allowed me to write it was finding the voice and figuring out the point of view, because I started it, I think, more in the third-person kind of omniscient type of point of view. And it's just, to me, that was a little too overwhelming, that omniscient point of view. You know, just there's so much, so many ways to approach things and so many things to you can focus on, whereas once I found the first person, I felt a real degree of focus that, okay, this is his point of view. It doesn't, it, it, it's whatever he wants to tell. And then that kind of, that was the engine that really allowed me to,
1: to to get going. There's one thing in the first, maybe first or second chapter, I think you're describing a very violent scene that turns out later to be a, a non-reliable narrator. It kind of reminded me of some scenes from Catcher in the Rye. Was that was that part like scenes like that? Is that why you decided to make this a book versus versus a movie, or are you kind of thinking a movie may come later, or what kind of set you down to do prose?
0: I, I you know, I, I first of all a love a love of prose. I'm a love of literature, really, Tom. Um, that that um, more and more of my free time is spent reading books. Uh, it always has been, but more and more and more and more, I'm, I'm kind of a junkie and spend a, a lot of money and time in bookstores and reading books and new, especially new stuff. Um, so it was that. The other thing was, I had a few failed attempts um, getting some other projects, some television think, and film projects off the ground that I was writing and developing with and without other people, partners and with, uh, dealing with some networks and studios and, and they were very frustrated, both in, um, what I, I just, they, they were just very difficult. There were things, there was one project that looked very promising and I pulled out because I didn't like what the network wanted to do with it. And so I was like, you know, why don't you just write something that is an end unto itself because, the. A pilot pitch, or a pilot script, or a screenplay, or a teleplay—those are, you know, they're blueprints. You know, they're not—they're not a work unto itself. You know what I mean? They're—they're blueprints for a show, a movie or TV show. And once that show gets made, you know, you can put the screenplay, you know, on the bottom of a bird cage because it doesn't have any function. It's not an, you know, it may be beautiful and artistic, but it's not. I don't—I don't see them as a work of art unto themselves. So part of part of my motivation really was to be unfettered in that respect and knowing that, okay, this is the end. And so I might obviously have to get it to a publisher and get it published, but there's no like, we'll make it into this or make it into that. If it eventually, you know, I never thought about it in terms of a movie uh, until I was done with it um, or a TV show or something. And um, I kind of have put that on the shelf till after the book, Gets out into the world and just seeing what kind of life it has. But um, that sure is a possibility, but it was definitely not um, written with that intention.
1: Besides, like, software and things like that, do you have any uh, noticeable differences with the logistical way that you wrote um, this prose versus a screenplay?
0: You know, I were uh, writing, I need to work in the mornings. Um, there's a certain kind of window of productivity that, you know, after four or five hours, the kind of law of diminishing returns starts to uh, exert its influence. Um, I need chunks of time that where I can be very disciplined and consistent, otherwise nothing really gets done. Uh, I find prose to be a bit more, demand, uh, demands a bit more uh, like isolation and just meditation because... I don't really know why, but I think I'm trying to figure out why. But there is something, I guess with a screenplay, you know it's going to be, you know, an hour and a half to two hours. A teleplay, you know it's about 60 pages. Um, This, there's no guidelines and there's no, it's easier to work in short bursts. You know, you can write a scene and just write dialogue or something like that or a screenplay or teleplay. Not, that's not easy. I mean, to do that well is extremely hard and, you know, you need to be, you know, uh, just people who are masterful in doing those things. I'm not, I'm just talking about my way of working. Um, whereas for me to write prose, really, um, those chunks don't, those, those delineations don't exist so much, you know, there's it, it, it's a bit more formless. Uh, a, a bit more formless of a thing to approach. Um, but, you know, the, the, the discipline of it is pretty similar. I mean, you're, you know, writing takes consistency and discipline. And, uh, you know, physical commitment to, you know, something arduous about it, and, um,
1: you know, but but rewarding. In terms of, like, broad strokes, I guess you could define this book as a coming-of-age story. As an actor, have you thought a lot about you know when you portray a character? Have you have you thought a lot about those you know those important years like sixteen, seventeen, and, and then how did you kind of decide to make this about a person that age?
0: Seeing my own you know my own children reach that age and knowing that this you know it's a it's a challenging time. I think even though this book is set in the seventies, our in our world it's even more of a challenging time with. Um, You know, social media makes it so difficult because in the past you would go to school and whatever gossip or drama would happen at school, you'd come home and that would at least be done for the day or something like that. Nowadays, it never ends, you know? They go to sleep right and they put down the phone where there's some group chat and some drama, whatever. I mean, it's very demanding. And and, um, I think it's a a critical moment, you know, uh, where you're really trying to figure out where to go and where to put your energy and, and, and what to do. um Death. When I was young, Catcher in the Rye was uh, uh, I mean, there's an obvious reference to it in my. The point, you know, him telling the story from the mental hospital and and uh, this death that that book was a huge influence. Actually, I I worked on a scene from that book as an actor when I was in acting school for a couple of years. <laughs> so I worked on that character himself, you know. um there was a scene in the book where he did as prostitute, and I worked on that scene with, uh, with my dear friend Sharon Angela, who actually was in my acting class but also wound up being on the Sopranos as, as Rosalie Aprile. But um, that book and Candide, uh, which I read as a teenager, and I didn't even really realize how much it had influenced me until I picked it up a couple of months ago after I finished this book. And I hadn't looked at it since my teenage years, and it was kind of crazy how much I remembered of the story, and and that I realized, oh, there's some—it's more of a political, social satire, but yet there's something about this character going into these, you know, difficult and— Disturbing and, and witnessing these disturbing situations and being part of these things, and yet still maintaining some degree of uh, purity and innocence, and that always stuck with me. That story.
1: Are there other? You know, you've had a um, a great career in 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 film and television. Are there any other movies or books that you kind of go back to over and over and read again or watch again every year?
0: I could watch Casavetti stuff over and over again. He's one of my. Uh, one of my heroes, really. I think what he did as a filmmaker is really unparalleled, and uh, as a, especially as a writer, he was a very underrated writer. I, I got to know several people who worked really close with him um, and spoke at length about his process and his work. And they would say, you know, he, his movies were very, very. Uh, I have some of the you know scripts. I mean, they were very tightly disciplined in, in the writing and, and specific. Um, and he has a reputation as someone who just improvised and turned the camera on. It was far from the truth. I mean, uh, Jenna Rowland's work, the two movies um, that I love, in her performance is Woman on the Influence and uh, Opening Night, which I think those two together maybe the greatest work an actor has has done period on film and uh, to me what impresses me most about uh, about her is she has these two characters who she doesn't change she doesn't do an accent or any kind of limp or real prosthetics or really change any you know her hair is a little different maybe she's you know her wardrobe's different Her makeup's a little different but it's her yet you can't Imagine two more distinctly different characters, and it's, and it's it's basically just shifting that center of gravity that she's able to do. Still, it's still being herself in some ways, yet creating these two completely different characters, you know, who have you know a wide range, open range between them. Uh, that blows my mind. Still, I, I go back to that in terms of books. Um, uh, I love um, Isaac. I Singer. I love his books. He's my favorite writer of all time. And I go back to his stuff, especially the short stories, um, a lot. Um, I like um, Jack Kerouac a lot, uh, especially Tristessa and uh, Big Sur. Um, um, I love Joyce Carol Oates. She's, she's, to me, like the our modern dead girl. Okay. Uh, I, I read her stuff a lot. Um, I love James Salter. Sport and a Pastime is one of my favorite books of all time. And, um, uh, Yasunari yeah, Sonari Kalabata, um, Snow Country. Um, he has an unfinished book that just came out called Dandelions that I just bought. I'm, I'm excited to read. And he's someone I go back to a lot.
1: There's a line near the end of your book uh, that goes, sometimes the truth of imagination is easier to live with than the truth of fact. This felt like a line that could be in almost any story. But, but what does this mean to you? Kind of Does it kind of sum up the story for you in a way?
0: Yeah, I mean, you can look at that a couple of ways, you know, um, because what, what's interesting is th- th- this book, all those events in, that, in this book are fictitious. All of them. Yet, so many people uh, keep thinking that they happened to me and that it's my story somehow, and don't really believe me when I tell them um, they didn't. And you know, I did an interview with someone yesterday, and they kept saying, "Well, when you're in, in the scene, the scene when you're with the girl and the thing, you mean the character in the book." He's like, "I know, I keep doing that, but they they are very fictitious." There are parallels with that. I lived close to New York, but not in New York, and then I was in Manhattan uh, a few years after this kid was as a teenager, but none of those events. I didn't work as a delivery boy. I didn't you know, drive a truck in the city. I didn't uh, have a girlfriend like that, and I didn't meet a rock star. So, you know, none of those events are true. Um, my mother wasn't a head. my father was the best, my parents were the best parents still are, loving and present and kind and still together after 50-something years, you know, uh, none of it's true. So maybe it, maybe it's that line's a testament to that, that the truth of the imagination almost seems more, that this is it, it seems more real. I think what I was writing is that he kind of rewrote his own history in a way, that he didn't. Necessarily want to know what happened, what, what his father did, and what painful things that he went through. He's he's managed to almost uh, rewrite them in a way that to allow him to go on rather than dwell on them and be burdened by them
1: forever. I really enjoyed the book. I don't want to give anything away about the ending, but I just I love kind of the the mentions of Lou Reed. It almost felt like in this perspective more personal. Like a personal tribute to Lou Reed, even more so than if you made like a documentary about him or something.
0: That makes me very happy to hear it because that that's definitely a, a, an intention of mine, and I and I hope that comes to because he was he was a hero of mine really, and he um uh I didn't get to know his music till after I was a teen. I mean, I knew the on the wild side like everybody, but I didn't really know. I remember there was a girl who had a T shirt of who when I was in high school. I didn't know who it was, and I was she was trying to explain who he was and I didn't even know. So I didn't really get into his music till maybe twenty, nineteen twenty, you know, when I was nineteen or twenty. But um uh and I lived in the village uh in my twenties, most of my twenties, and so did he. So I would see him, you know, long, walking around, um which was a very—it's a very strange thing, you know—that you um, <laughs> you'd see like somebody who was so iconic to you and so such a such a um, uh, you know, just somebody you admired so much as walking around your neighborhood, you know. Um, but yeah, it 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 definitely is is an homage and a tribute and, and um, to him without a doubt.
1: So, in addition to the book, you're also working on a couple of projects, like a series with Zach Braff. Can you share any details about um, this new project?
0: Alex Inc. is a comedy for ABC that um, uh, it's based on a podcast, based on something called Startup. The podcast was about him starting his own company, basically. And so this is what the show is about. Zach plays a guy, kind of in the middle of his life, wife and kids, and he's unhappy with his job, and decides to start his own business. And, um, the risk that, that is, that, you know, that he's taking and it's, it's kind of a, uh, I look at it as a combination of, uh, family comedy and workplace comedy. Like, that it's, you know, could be something like the office meets modern family, like, um, in some ways. And uh, my character play I play his cousin, who he, he, he hires basically to be, you know, like a, a sales manager and, I'm someone who's from Brooklyn who knows doesn't even really know what a pod doesn't know what a podcast is at the start of this whole thing but takes the job anyway um, and is very not knowledgeable about technology and the internet and all these things but yet is not daunted by the uh, idea of working in this field <laughs> and is actually very confident that he can succeed in this field just by applying whatever other methods he did in the past. Um that's that's uh, and that goes on the air March twenty eighth is the first episode.
1: Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to share about the book?
0: The, yeah, I just would just mention the publishers it was a, a, a books out of Brooklyn, um, who are independent in a press that are tremendous and uh if you know, people like this book to check out their catalog because they really, I think they're doing some really outstanding things in the world of independent publishing. They're really good and very supportive. Thank
1: you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online includes step one the psychology of the mindset step two how to create a killer profile and step three how to find quality clients this online course is valued at 99 dollars it can be yours for free in addition to the free course you'll get access to the ebook how hollywood screenwriters annihilate writer's block this contains advice from aaron sorkin carrie fukunaga and william monahan you can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.